Welcome to The Staff Room, a podcast which takes a look into the world of education. In this series, we chat to inspirational educators far and wide about pedagogy, shed light on great practice, and discuss new and exciting ideas. My name is Michael Royale, and I'm sitting here with Tessa Johnson, and we're coming to you from Corpus Christi College in Perth, Australia. In this episode, we'll be talking about the grassroots movement, Women Ed, and its quest to campaign for equitable balance in terms of gender and ethnicity at leadership level in education. We'll be chatting to national leader of Women Ed, former head teacher and TEDx speaker, Vivian Porritt. Vivian will fill us in on the success of the movement and share her expert views on gender inequality in leadership in education. Stay with us to hear Vivian's passionate and transformational views. So we just want to ask women to just take one small step forward. And once they've done that, to celebrate it, share it on Twitter, share it with the women in your local women ed community. And that helps other women take their small step forward. And then of course, another step and another step. I'm Michael Royale. And I'm Tessa Johnson. And this is The Staff Room. All right, so I'm personally quite excited uh, for our chat today. We're talking to Vivian Porritt, who is doing really, really, or is part of a movement that's doing really, really great things for women in leadership roles in education. So, Michael, what are you excited about uh, with today's talk? Yeah, well, I mean, I watched her TEDx talk on this idea of normal and the fact that she despises that word, and I found it really, really interesting what she had to say about it and how we have to change that thinking because no one should be referred to as normal. So I'm intrigued to see what else she has to say about that, as well as how her actual um, movement, Women Ed, is, you know, embrace or trying to embrace this change and allow more women in the workplace to actually reach leadership positions. Yeah, and it's all about equity, isn't it? Like, it's all about, um, you know, finding equality. And when you mention normal, she'll, I'm sure she'll explain that a little more, but that's looking at um, potential people with disabilities. But I'm, I'm personally really, really excited to hear about what Women Ed is doing for women because I think women in education, there are so many women in education. You know, we think of a school, we think of a primary school, the staff are quite often dominated by women, but it, it seems that um, more often than not, leadership roles are male-dominated. Um, and it's, I think, back to when I was in primary school and now I think to when my parents were in primary school and then I think to myself now as a high school teacher and it's just remained the same. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really intrigued to hear about what women are actually doing to try and shift this movement because, you know, it's, it's something that, it, that hasn't changed and we've come so far in gender equality but we haven't reached equality yet and I think yeah. I'm, I'm quite excited to hear what she's got to say. Yeah, definitely. Let's get into it, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. National Leader of Women Ed, London-based Vivian Porritt, joins us today via Skype to share her visionary ideas on gender equality and the Women Ed movement. So, welcome to the show, Vivian, and we're really grateful for your time this morning. Firstly, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, a little bit about myself. Um, I was an English drama teacher, um, then a head teacher, then I worked for a university, and now I work for myself. And I also do quite a bit of education voluntary work um, for Women Ed and the Chartered College of Teaching in England. 
And that's actually what we're obviously here to talk to you today about, mainly. Uh-huh. That'd be super. Great. Um, so we might move on to the next question for the time being, because we'll come back to those a little bit later on. But um, we've been very inspired by your ideas on sparking change in your recent TEDx talk. And we're wondering if you could actually explain to us what you meant by a world where normal doesn't actually exist. Um, yes, certainly. Um, uh, I A few years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and it was quite an aggressive form of breast cancer. Um, so it was quite physically and, and mentally disabling for a while. And as I started to come out of the treatment um, and began to get more connected back with work, um, I thought I was doing really quite well. And um, I went into work one day and a colleague said to me, um, do you know, Vivian, you really don't look very ill at all. You look perfectly normal. Um, and, and that shocked me a little bit, really, because what I'd gone through hadn't been normal of any kind. Um, and, and it was said with such lack of thought, really, um, as to what somebody in my position might have might be going through that it it got me wondering what we actually meant by that word normal um because i suppose i didn't feel normal and i'd been in england if you have breast cancer you are um labeled as disabled for a period of time um and then if they feel you haven't got cancer anymore then you're labeled as able-bodied after that. And all of those concepts really started to um, flow around in my head, I suppose. And I, I listened to a lot of the language that people started to use and the labels that people put on people. Um, and I've always been, fairness and equity have always been really important values to me. Um, and in lots of ways, I realised I wasn't being treated in the same way as I was prior to being labelled with a disability. And so it got me concerned about how we talk to people, how we label them and how we view people who are in any way different to us. And then, of course, I started saying, well, who's the us? Who are the normal people? Um, and who decides who is normal and who isn't. And I'm an ex-English teacher, so the language is really important to me. And I realised then that all the labels we put on people who aren't normal, in inverted commas, are really just disguises for the word abnormal, which none of us would want to say to somebody. No, on, on reflection, do you think this um, labelling of... of individuals as normal do you think that that has affected students in in schools can you think of instances where perhaps even yourself has thought of students as being normal or or abnormal um i don't think i have because from my own personal experiences as a child i, I think that's where I'm, I'm acutely conscious that there are differences that people might feel conscious about and that how we therefore do treat children in school with the labels. And I, I don't know what it is like in Australia, but it seems to me we label virtually every group of children in England now um, in terms of looking for their progress 
but in doing that we may unconsciously be making them feel set apart from others but in the end everybody's labeled with something everybody has a difference everybody needs to be seen as a unique individual um, and looked at for the value that they bring rather the things that they can't do or aren't able to do and how how um, do you think is the best way to go again um, go about changing this mindset well it, it's a it's a mindset that's been in place for a very long time and in many ways we, we are getting better and better at not having that mindset but there are still so many inequities particularly in education and also globally in terms of social expectations and uh, um, possibilities that I think it's going to take a lot of time to change. So what I started to focus on was asking people to think about their language. Um, as an ex-English teacher, I think language reflects an ethos and a culture and changing a language can start to change that mindset. So I want to ban the word normal. I want to ban the whole concept of normal and normality and normalizing things and try and change that, just that one word for now, into unique individual. Um, and and I, it, in the talk, I referenced the fact that normal is a setting on a washing machine. It absolutely shouldn't be used to describe people in any way. And if we could just get that one concept discussed, talked about and awareness raised over what it means to the people who in any other words are being described as abnormal, if we knew what that feels like for people, I think we'd all want to start changing just that one word as a start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, continuing on with you know your your drive for reaching equality, we're going to uh, talk about the women ed movement because that's gained quite a lot of interest over social media um, over the last year or so. So can you just explain to our listeners what exactly is women ed and what does it set out to do? Um, what women ed is is a grassroots movement which aims to connect up women leaders in education across all sectors of education as well as aspiring leaders women who want the choice to move to a leadership career in education um, we're a group of volunteers um, so we all do what we do for women ed on top of our own day jobs um, and once connected as a group and a community of women ed we then want to empower and support women to have the choice to make the next step on their leadership journey whatever that step might be um, and so that can include all educators who want to think about a leadership career um, so it stands for um, shifting the imbalance in leadership roles from the point of view of male and female um, and then also from the point of view of women who for example in my case who may be disabled or lgbt women or women with an ethnic minority the intersectionality because it makes it harder to be a leader with each additional label 
we add on to a woman. I'd imagine that's had, like, you would have faced some challenges as this has progressed. Um, what are some of those challenges you might have faced, especially when initially establishing, establishing the women-ed movement? Um, well, I, I don't think we faced initial challenges because we didn't, we only had quite a small aim at the beginning, um, which we feel we achieved very quickly. Um, we started with a group of women who, who basically had a rant about the position of women in education um, over International Women's Day in 2015. Um, because we realised that women on Twitter weren't really having a voice, weren't really feeling part of the educational community on Twitter. So all we set out to do initially was connect women on Twitter and give them a voice. Um, and, and we succeeded in doing that very, very quickly. Um, and felt that a good way forward was to, to have a small conference. Um, but in the end, and we were expecting 40, 50 women to want to join in that. Once we announced that, we had 400 expressions of interest of wanting to contribute to the conference. And then we realised that, that maybe this was a, a greater need than we'd realised and a lot of women who were very quiet on Twitter or who lurked on Twitter suddenly wanted to have something, had something to say and they wanted it to be heard. And of course, um, it then grew very quickly. So it was quite easy in the beginning. <laughs> um, and then, then we did start to face some challenges because we started articulating what we stood for. Um, and what we were trying to achieve. And we got a lot of pushback from some quite vocal men on Twitter. Um, and that gave us a, a taste of the fact of what sometimes happens, a little bit like that global Me Too movement has found, that you get a bit of a backlash when you start putting those challenges in. Um, but we're always very polite. We debate helpfully. We don't get involved in any um, uncomfortable or unpleasant discussions. And we found that that's helped us be very clear on the data that tells us there is a problem for women in education globally. Um, there are large gaps between men and women in education that we want to move towards addressing. We need more diversity in leadership. And all of these broad challenges are now part of the Women Ed campaign and community, with now on Twitter um, 23,000 followers all joining in that campaign. And I can imagine there were probably 23,000 other rants that went on as well around around the world that they just, you know, and, and it's fantastic that you've taken the initiative to actually turn a rant into something very, very empowering and very inspiring and, and connecting as well. Um, so you mentioned before just some data that you had that, um, that sort of indicates that women are not given the same opportunities as men when it comes to leadership. Could you um, explain what some of that data might actually be? Um. Well, I, I can explain the 
data from England very quickly and easily. And I can also do that in terms of um, we, we've gathered more international data also now, which I don't have as much at my fingertips, but is broadly similar. So the data that really started our rant, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure any other community has ever started why something described as a rant in that way. But oh, anyway, we love we love a good um, rant initial, over here. <laughs> we love a good rant on Twitter. Good, good, good. Who doesn't? Um, and the initial data in England showed that um, whilst in in schools, the data came from schools originally. Um, education is a feminised workforce, with seventy percent over seventy percent of the employees being women. In secondary, our secondary sector, our high school sector in education, of while there were sixty-eight percent of women were had were working in the sector, only thirty-six percent were head teachers. And so the proportions of that were out of all expectation. And whilst in the primary sector, with a much higher proportion of a feminized workforce, and therefore much higher proportion of head teachers, um, if you were a man in England and you were in the primary sector where the numbers are much lower, um, you had a, a much greater proportion of success in becoming a head teacher. Um, so that was starting to raise so many more questions. Why do so many more women work and be head teachers in the primary sector? Why are men more proportionately successful in both sectors at being heads? Um, and as we delved into the data, we found out that men become head teachers much more quickly. Um, especially in the primary sector, where there are more women. Um, we started looking at the data for universities and colleges, and that was reflecting a similar situation of leadership at the top across education. And gradually, as some international teams began to get working on these issues with us, we realised that, that pr those proportions of a third and two thirds in the secondary sector, um, the high school sectors, seem to be pretty balanced across a lot of the European countries. I don't know what the data is in Australia, but if somebody could share that with us, we would love that. And um, we've had data from the USA about the superintendents who lead the education system in their districts. Again, very low proportion of women at those levels. And everywhere we look, the data shows that leaders in education look like and are, in the majority, men, even though the majority of the workforce are women. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's quite shocking to hear. We were, we were talking about just before this podcast how, you know, our reflections from our primary schools and such, it did seem to be mostly men in those leadership positions. But to hear that, you know, 70, almost 70% of women, wow, that's... Yeah, really quite shocking. And I would imagine, to be honest, it would be quite similar in Australia. Um, and as I say, we're finding that in all other international areas. I was talking to some women in India at the moment, and they're feeling that there's, they've got a real difficult problem with that. And there's, there's a couple of reasons for that problem. 
for why we need to do something about it. And again, that's back to my points about fairness and equity. Any education organisation in its own mission statement or its own values will have words such as equity, equality, fairness, social justice, moral purpose. Those words will be spread around somewhere. And yet, it's quite clear that there isn't equity for their own staff. And I, as you have gathered, I, I can't cope with that. That's wrong. It's not fair. And we need to do something about it. We also need to do something about it for the students in education, because as far as they are concerned, and this starts at a very young age, research has showed that children from as young as six, if you ask them to describe a head teacher, they'll, they'll draw a picture of a man. And all of the way through, we need to show our girls and our boys that both men and women are leaders, not just only men. And the third issue is we have a worldwide retention and recruitment crisis in education. And the OECD has shown that is worldwide. And when a lot of head teachers say to me, I can't get leaders in my school, I get quite frustrated because the future leaders of our schools are sat in our staff rooms and they're women. And if we got a better gender balance across women, we'd sort the retention crisis for leaders in our education organisations. Now, you mentioned uh, that that worldwide issue of people struggling to, you know, find leaders in their own organisations. But do you find that there's any international interest and is the movement actually spreading worldwide? Um, the Women Ed movement? Yes. Um, definitely. Um, we have international teams in um, the United States, Canada, the Netherlands, Czech, uh, Czech Republic, Italy, um, and we're talking with people in Spain at the moment who are quite keen to join in. Um, and we've flirted with a lot of people in Australia who keep wanting to see what they could do in Australia. So one of the reasons, one of the things I'd love to come out of this is a group of women to get in touch and say, okay, we'd love a Women Ed Australia or a Women Ed Sydney and a Women Ed Melbourne and wherever anybody would want it. Because I think we've got to ensure that women get the support in the locality or the region where they live. It's fabulous to have online ways of connecting, but we've certainly found in England that the, the, the real sense of empowerment comes when these women meet and connect with each other and tell their stories and share their successes. We've learned that women respond very powerfully to role models and we want women to meet other female role models and we want women to be role models themselves for the future generation of educators and for the students that they serve. Mm. Um, so you, you mentioned some of their successes and sharing them. Um, do you have some examples of success stories you could share with us? Um, uh, yes. 
mo most of them will be connected to England, but I can bring some success stories from some of our um, other teams across the globe. Um, we track we track some individual women's journeys so that we can actually we can actually eventually show a from here to here. So um, from a, an unconference we had in London nearly three years ago, um, we had a, a primary teacher who was all fired up by the end of the unconference and she pledged to be 10% braver, which is our mantra and which helps women move forward. Um, a month later, she applied for a job as a senior leader in a primary school and she was successful um, and she's been making waves in that job for the last 18 months. She's now been successful in being accepted onto what we call in England the National Professional Qualification for Headship. So that means she knows she's on her journey to becoming a head teacher. And in 18 months time, we hope she'd be applying for those posts. So that's not a, an overnight success story, but it's a real success story, which is building a career pathway through levels of leadership. And on top of that, she also applied and became one of our Women at London team who connect and support women up across London. So as well as the support she's received, she's paying it back. And that's what we really like to see. We've had umpteen, umpteen examples of people achieving promotion um, or achieving a new role in their school. And we, we have a way that people can look those success stories up if they're on Twitter and they engage with Twitter. Um, and I can explain that um, if that's helpful. Yeah, well, you mentioned that um, that it is that she did become a team leader, and we know that your team is made up of what you call national leaders. So, yeah, could you just explain their role a little bit? Um, they're the core team, really, and we're probably on the verge of changing the language to reflect more the fact that we're now a global movement. So, as I said, when we set out <laughs> and had regional teams, it never occurred to us it would go outside of England. So then people in Scotland and Wales wanted to join in. So we thought, OK, the UK, the United Kingdom, never occurred to us again that people across the world would even notice what we were talking about. And now that we have these international teams, quite rightly, we're starting to think about our language because we can't call ourselves national leaders. Um, looking after international communities. So we're probably now going to call our, our core team strategic leaders. So there are a small group of us at the moment four, and we're about to add another two or three. And we have that global picture. We know what's happening in each of the teams in England and across the world because we're all connected to two or three of those teams. We support those teams um, and we listen to what they are saying, the women in their network needs, and we feed that in across other networks. 
and we also, as strategic leaders, connect and build other partnerships, which we then, partnerships that will then support the other teams around the world. Now, obviously, as a leader yourself, what advice would you give to new female teachers who are aspiring to lead in the future? Oh, the, the absolute piece of advice is our women ed mantra, which is 10% braver. Um, we discovered an enormous confidence gap in women in education. Um, and I think it's the same with women in all sectors. But there is a particular confidence gap in education, um, I suppose, because um, the pressures, the accountability pressures in education worldwide are so great that it, sometimes people are, are frustrated about whether they're able to achieve the right thing or what they feel is needed for their children. Um, so that confidence gap needed to be addressed and 10% braver is a little piece of magic. Um, we just ask women to be a small part of being brave at whatever is their own current situation. So it might be bravery in what they think or bravery in what they think is possible or bravery in applying or bravery in saying, um, I'd like to have a discussion about my salary, please. Because there's an enormous gender gap in England around um, salaries for men and women in education. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the same worldwide. So we just want to ask women to just take one small step forward. And once they've done that, to celebrate it, share it on Twitter, share it with the women in your local women ed community. And that helps other women take their small step forward. And then, of course, another step and another step. And we celebrate that on Twitter also. And that that has made a really significant difference for the women who we um, see in our community at the moment. And you're right in that, you know, the 10% the bravery that women give now will feed on into the future because, I mean, I went to an all-girls school and I went to an all-girls school that was run by men. And that's, I think, <laughs> that's just bonkers, isn't it? It's it just is, bonkers. and and you know, we 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 were taught to be sort of empowered, independent women, and it was it was obviously an excellent school. Um, but you know, you're looking up at these leaders, and and they are men, and I think the confidence you're talking about is just it just possibly wasn't a thought in our minds that we would actually get to that level. That you know, I didn't know then I was going to be a teacher, but, <laughs> but I I definitely didn't think I'd be a principal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's brilliant that you could think you're going to be a principal. That's what people have to have that mindset that it's, you know, and you understand the irony of the word that it's normal for a woman to lead in education, that it's valuable for a woman to lead in education. Um, and what we've learned and we try and help women with is that men, men lack confidence in the same way. But because of the socialisation, the millennia of socialisation and stereotypical thinking for men and for women, while men lack confidence, it doesn't stop them having a go. Whereas women lack confidence and retreat because they're scared of failure, because they've been taught as girls that it's important to do well, to do the right thing. And we've got to realise that 
it isn't failure, it must just take you longer to reach your goal. Whereas women retreat because they have this profound need to be perfect, which is absolutely part of their socialization. Whereas it's not a problem for men to just have a go and, and try something out, to take a risk. Women are less keen on risk. Yeah. How, how can our listeners get involved in the Women Ed movement? Um, in, in lots of ways. So the first is Twitter. Um, and we know some people in education don't go on Twitter for all kinds of reasons. So what we would suggest is go on Twitter just to follow Women Ed. And then you don't have to get involved with any, any anything else that goes on on Twitter. And our hash, um, our Twitter name is at capital W Women capital E Ed. So all one word, obviously, Women Ed. And our hashtag, which is the easy way to connect with us, is hashtag Women Ed. Very simple. And then you can also connect with the other regional teams. We have an email address. Would you like that? So that's womenedleaders, all one word, at gmail.com. And we also have an app. If you search on either the Google Play or the Apple apps, you can find Women Ed. Um, we're not brilliant at keeping the app up to date at the moment because our volunteers seem to have more and more work to do. But we often put events on there and, it, and some news and it gives you a flavour of that. We have a website that, again, is a bit out of date and we're building a new website. So when that is available, it will be womened.org, um, as simple as that. Um, we're on Facebook, Women Ed Leaders. Um, I think those are the main ways you can connect. And oh, we have a blog. So if you search Women Ed Blog WordPress, our blog will come up and you can connect in that way by reading blogs and writing blogs. All right, great. And we also hear that you have a newsletter as well. Uh, we do have a newsletter. Um, which again is on Twitter. <laughs> um, so, but if, and that's a MailChimp newsletter, so that's not as easy to give a link for that. Um, but we have quite a few newsletters coming out at the moment because we've got a lot of really exciting things happening. And if you're on Twitter, you'll see the newsletter. That'll go on website as well. But we have a book coming out in February which is all about all of these issues and will be available worldwide, published by SAGE. So that's going to be another way in which women can get involved and um, have a worldwide conversation about women in education and, and our next steps and where we take this, this absolutely fabulous, empowering community. Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking to us, Vivian. It's it's really, really inspiring to hear how, you know, a rant can turn into this grassroots movement that can turn into, you know, you've got your own app and you're about to have your own book as well. So uh, a really, really inspiring sort of um, um, 
team movement story, but also doing really, really great things for equality, um, not just for women, uh, but as you said as well, for people who are disabled, the LGBTQ community. Um, yeah, fantastic. Really, really uh, great to talk to you. Thank you. and Lovely to talk with you. Thank you very much. And uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of your day over in the UK. Thank you very much and good evening to you. (laughs) We're on our last day of school today, so we're about to head home for six weeks. Oh, oh, well, have have a fabulous Christmas holiday. Thank you very much. And enjoy the the lovely weather for you. Yeah, and you hopefully enjoy some snow. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, Tess, so we've just talked to Vivian and she had some amazing things to say. Uh, What were the biggest takeaways that you found? I think just the whole process of where this Women Ed movement has come from and how quickly it's spread. Uh, Obviously, I was shocked to hear that data. I was shocked to hear how many women are in the education system, yet so few leaders. Uh, But I I love as well, and I'm, I'm so inspired by the way that this did just start as a rant, and how Twitter and social media has made that grow exponentially. Um, And I'm hoping that we will see this continued growth in women ed because it is an issue and it is an issue that we we address that much. Women um, who campaign for women in leadership are often labeled as, you know, man haters and, you know, feminist has all these dirty connotations to them. But it's really nice to see this peaceful, this polite, as she said, movement um, and yeah, just, excited really excited for what may come out of that how about you michael yeah definitely i'm just going on what you're saying as well it's really nice to know that they're not you know buying into the amount of trolls that would be you know circulating on twitter and the likes it's ridiculous isn't it Oh, it's disgusting you sort of think even even kids um even some of the students you mention feminism and they sort of roll their eyes and you think feminism is just equality like how can you be a non an anti-feminist like that's basically saying that you're for discrimination yeah exactly and yeah it's quite amazing when you do hear students say that and it is definitely changing that mindset around everyone's thinking including students like you say yeah and i'll allow that 10 percent bravery so things we can mm. do now how that can feed on into into the next generations and it, it's crazy to think that you know women that do go for leadership roles that they're not just doing something for themselves but also doing something for you know the the female students that may be able to, you know, visualise themselves in a similar position. Mm, Definitely. And um, I thought it was quite interesting with that 10% bravery that she mentioned the fact that women are quite often lacking in confidence. And I didn't get a chance to um, ask, unfortunately, except I think there's also the issue that when they do have that confidence, they're kind of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, put back in their place and labelled differently to a man that possesses confidence in such a role. And it'll be good if that sort of thinking can be changed as well yeah and you know i mean i'm super confident (laughs) but no i i did i did really think about that and think about my own high school sort of situation and yeah here's to here's the change i suppose yeah definitely thanks so much for listening to the staff room and thanks to our guest vivian porritt if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, my handle is at Michael underscore Royale and Tessa's is at Tessa underscore Johnson too. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts and feel free to leave a review and give us any feedback on the show. I'm Michael Royale. And I'm Tessa Johnson. Thanks for listening.